Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures, indeed to study the Bible, to dig into the text of Scripture as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite and famous topic, what he called the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We were speaking last time of the enormously important verse in Luke chapter 21, verse 31, where Jesus, announcing the signs that would indicate the near approach of his second coming, said this, When you see all of these cataclysmic things happening, then know that the kingdom of God is about to come. As most readers of the New Testament realize, the New Testament is simply filled with warnings that Christians are to be ready and prepared for the great day. It may be that we should die before Christ returns, in which case we will meet him at that future day of his arrival. Death in the Bible is likened always to sleep, and so the very moment a person closes his eyes in death, he will not be conscious again until he is resurrected to meet Christ at his coming. In that way, all the faithful are resurrected to life in the kingdom of God at the second coming of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23 says it plainly. All those, Paul said, who belong to Christ will be resurrected at his coming. The word for the coming of Christ there is the Greek word parousia, always indicating Jesus' arrival in power and glory in the future to establish the kingdom of God on a renewed earth. And so the Apostle Peter, who is an immensely important writer in the New Testament, says this, We are looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. That same word parousia there. On account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to God's promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You will find that in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Now, earlier in the same chapter, in verse 4, Peter had warned about those who would say, Where is the promise of his coming, his parousia? Because ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And Peter's response to that is the following, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heaven and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Second Peter 3, verses 4 to 7. Now you'll notice that Peter there speaks of the heaven and the earth as being the world. And so it's the world that's going to be subject to this tremendous change when Christ comes back. And we're looking then, Peter says, for a new heaven and earth, a new world full of righteousness. And that, of course, includes principally the earth, the planet on which we're now living. Heaven, if you like, is going to be restored to this earth. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus. They're going to inherit the earth. So all this talk about Christians going to heaven when they die is extremely confusing and complicates the biblical message, which is essentially simple. The objective of Christianity is to inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus, they're going to inherit the earth. And in Revelation 5, verse 10, he said, 
that the point of Christianity is that Jesus has gathered and called people of all the different nations and formed them into a royal family and they are going to rule as kings upon the earth. Revelation 5 verse 10. Now when the Apostle Peter referred to the new heaven and the new earth which has been promised, what would he have had in mind? Well, this is an easy question to answer because in the Hebrew Bible, what we rather unfortunately call the Old Testament, we find exactly that expression, the new heavens and the new earth, and in that same context, a fascinating description of what that new world is going to look like. I'm referring to the classic passage in Isaiah chapter 65 and verses 17 onwards. I read this, For behold, I, and the Lord God is speaking here, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice over what I am creating, for behold, I am creating Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. Now notice these details about that new world coming. No longer will there be in Jerusalem an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days, because the youth will die at the age of one hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of one hundred will be thought accursed. Now isn't that remarkable? Here we have a description of a scene in which there are still mortal beings existing on the planet, and yet they're not going to be short-lived. Even the person who dies at the age of 100 would be considered to be young, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. Now, today we talk about people being in their teens. At that time, apparently, we'll talk about people being in their hundreds. And this description of the new heaven, the new earth coming... The new society of the kingdom of God of the future goes on in verse 21 of Isaiah 65. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Now the remarkable scene being depicted here obviously has to do with the earth. What the prophet Isaiah describes in such beautiful colors here is nothing to do with souls playing harps on clouds in a region far removed from the earth. It has to do with a new society here on this planet. We're talking about planting vineyards and building houses. In verse 22 of Isaiah 65 we read, They will no longer build and someone else inhabit. They will no longer plant and someone else eat the produce of that planting. Because as the lifetime of a tree so shall be the days of my people, and my chosen ones will outlive the work of their hands. They'll wear out the work of their hands. They'll live longer than the very houses they live in. Now, surely, to live longer than a tree means to live up to perhaps a thousand years. There are trees, the banyan tree, I believe, and the cedar tree, which can survive up to five or six or seven hundred years. And so people in this idyllic age, being described here by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 65, are going to be long-lived like the people before the time of the flood. We remember in the book of Genesis how people lived to seven or eight hundred years. This same longevity is going to be repeated in the new age of the kingdom of God on earth. 
as described by the prophets. In verse 23 of Isaiah 65, we read on, They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. You'll find these marvelous verses in the 65th chapter of Isaiah, and they paint a wonderful picture of exactly that new heavens and new earth about which Peter spoke in Second Peter 3. The exact phrase, new heavens and new earth, is found both in Second Peter chapter 3 and Isaiah 65, verses 17, onwards to the end of that chapter. I recommend that you study that passage carefully and enjoy the prophet's forecast of a time of perfect security, of freedom from danger, from war, when even nature will reflect the harmony existing in human society, and you will note also that the serpent's fate will be to eat dust, as we say in contemporary English, to bite the dust, to be totally humiliated. The serpent, you know, is the symbol of Satan, the devil himself. He's going to be crushed, according to Romans 16, verse 20, at that time when the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God, and peace and security will prevail across our globe in a way which has never happened in the whole of human history thus far. The Bible, you know, is filled with promises of a new age coming, a new world to be dominated by the Messiah, a beneficent government, a fair and just government for all, safety, peace, security, international disarmament, all these things are promised for our earth. The question is, are you preparing to be a participant in that new age? The New Testament makes it quite clear that no one can participate in that new age of the future who now participates in a form of lifestyle that excludes one from the prize of that future reward, namely participation in the kingdom of God. Let me read it to you straight from the mouth of Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Don't you know, said Paul the apostle, that the unrighteous cannot and will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't kid yourself, I'm paraphrasing there. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. As to say, the new society to be born when Jesus Christ returns to this earth to take charge of world government and to introduce an era of unparalleled prosperity and peace for the whole of our society. These things are promised in the Bible on page after page of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And the fact of a new world coming, the kingdom of God, did not have to be repeated over and over again in the New Testament. It was assumed that those who were reading the pages of the New Testament documents had fully grasped the message of the prophets of Israel. And that message centered on a great time coming, a new world coming. Jesus spoke in Matthew 19:28 of the future rebirth of the world. Now, the rebirth of the world is simply another way of expressing the idea of the new creation, the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. 
And so the point of the New Testament is that we must now prepare by ourselves undergoing a recreation, a new birth, in order that we might take part in that time when the world itself, when society itself at large, when the entire inhabited world of this planet is going to be subject to a massive rebirth experience, a recreation experience. Hence the words of Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, verses 17 and onwards, Behold, says God, I am going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And so Peter makes the same assertion in Second Peter 3, verse 13. According to God's promise, says Peter, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's to say, lifestyles and conduct which are in accordance with God's standard, not the debased and degenerated standards which are now permitted. There will be no drunkards, no thieves, no fornicators, no breakers of the marriage bond, no homosexuals, no idolaters, no effeminate in that kingdom, no covetous and no revilers nor swindlers. You read this clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Now I hasten to add, of course, that those of us who might be involved in that lifestyle at present have yet got the opportunity of repenting and forsaking those ungodly ways of life before the kingdom arrives. We invite you to ponder these great facts of the Bible. Request from us a free book on the kingdom of God for your own personal Bible study at home. And join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.